Hello, and welcome to the Calvary Chapel Southeast Podcast. Thank you for joining us for our study through the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis is an important part of the scriptures. It holds some of the most memorable accounts in the entire Bible, like the story of creation and the calling of Abraham. But more important than the individual stories within it, this book marks the beginning of God's magnificent plan of redemption for a lost humanity. Grab your Bibles and let's jump in. Uh, welcome back to Wednesday night study in the book of Genesis. If you want to open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 11, welcome to those who are joining us online as well. One of the things I, as just this is before the, the sermon tonight, one of the things I love about how God moves in the body of Christ, each with our own gifts, just the choice of songs that, that Josh made tonight, so blend with what we're seeing in Genesis chapter 11 tonight. This whole idea, the whole song, another is in the fire. It's, it's, all, it's all these memorial moments as you go through that song, memorial moments where you see the movement of God and God saying, hey, I'm here. Uh, I'm always gonna be here. I have a plan. I'm gonna keep executing the plan and I'm gonna keep sending you reminders throughout biblical history. And it's just a great, great picture, the whole idea of another in the water as Moses is leaving, leading the people of Israel out of Egypt, another in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, just on and on these memorial markers. So really cool. I love it. Um, and tonight, again, as we go through Genesis chapter 11, before we dive into that, let's take a little peek back kind of pull some things forward maybe a little bit. So last week, we looked at chapters 9 and 10. Um, in there, we learned uh, about how the Lord started fresh with Noah and his family. Part of God's fresh start was to renew his commands to Noah and to the people through this one family to be fruitful and multiply and to fill the earth. And along with it, all the commands that he had given previously to Adam and Eve and all their descendants, leading right up to Noah and his family. The Lord, as we mentioned last week, the Lord instituted new laws, specifically relating to the eating of animals, something that was new. And um, up to this point, we, we don't know if they ate animals prior to this, but this is the first instance where God is saying, now you can. But there was kind of this new societal law that God establishes. Nothing that has its lifeblood in it because... Life is in the blood and that imagery of looking down through the lens of the future and saying, there will come a time that life, restoration, would be through the blood of Christ, provided by Jesus the Messiah. His blood bringing eternal life to all who come to him by faith. And where he's establishing this pattern that it is by faith that we are made right with God faith that God imparts to us and faith that we carry forward in obedience. 
And that, we see that in Genesis chapter, chapter 9, verse 6, this whole idea of the societal law, whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. He's setting forth this very clear reminder, we are image bearers, which is started right back in the Genesis chapter 1. And that human life is incredibly valuable to God. And we, we definitely see the degrading of that truth in our society today, uh, perhaps like never before. As God continues to lay out the near future for Noah and his family, he also establishes a new covenant, this unconditional covenant that he will not destroy the earth with a flood. And he seals this covenant with the rainbow so that all future generations would be reminded of his promise and his faithfulness. Again, tying right to that song that we were singing, this whole idea that God is setting forth things that we can look back through history and even in present time and say, there, there was the reminder of God, that he is faithful to see his plan of redemption and restoration completed, that he will never stop doing that we can be assured, even though at times and even in our current culture and situation, world, world events, it may not seem like God is working out this plan like we think it should be anyways. As the history lesson continues, we learn more about Noah and his, Noah and, and his humanity, the fact that he was a real guy, a real human being, just like you and I, uh, despite his past faithfulness to God, you know, the God said, hey, here's a faithful guy. I'm going to use him to uh, preserve humanity despite that faithfulness. Here it is just a few short years later, and Noah's drinking wine, gets drunk, and with it a new chapter, but a similar plot. Man's inherent ability to mess things up, right? Just we inherited this ability to make a wreck of whatever we touch. He's just like you and me. And that, I mean, I know that may not give you comforts, but it does to me at times. He's just like me. And God was patient with him as he is with you and I. But also the reality that his sin has far-reaching effects. It was already, the infection had already begun really with his son Ham. And we see that in that story there. And the truth of that, the spread, the effects of sin in his life and in the lives of his family, with Noah's failure, also see the future of his son, Ham, who is the picture kind of, of Cain, this one who fails, the son who fails, one who is not concerned with the authority and respect of God as he demonstrates it towards his earthly father. And it's through Ham and then his son Canaan that many, many heartaches would await the nation Israel and test, become a test of their obedience to God. And this ought to serve as a reminding, a warning for us today. How are we doing when it comes to honoring, respecting to those God has placed in our lives, placed in authority over us, even as the scripture says, our national leader, how are we doing with showing respect to those God whose God is placed in authority? Now, I'll admit, that's a tough one for me. 
there was a times where I'm just so frustrated and I could get so wrecked in anger. Like him, I find myself sometimes acting foolish and rejoicing in the failure of others. How are we doing in that area? Or are we as his brothers, Sham and Japheth, men of compassion, reflecting the compassion of Christ? In chapter 10, we've seen the unfolding of God's repopulating of the earth. We also saw the continued pride and brutality um, displayed in that genealogy through the life of Nimrod. Um, from Nimrod comes the Babylonians and the Assyrians, uh, a people completely given over to rejection and rebellion of, against God and brutality. Um, they also eventually become, as we mentioned last week, the chastening rod that God uses for his people, the disciplinary measure for his rebellious people, Israel. And then chapter 10 closes with the genealogy of Shem through which we can trace the lineage of the Messiah. So from the beginning, humanity has been this constant factor for sin and chaos. However, in contrast, God is the one constant source of grace and mercy and faithfulness. A faithfulness provide the promised redeemer and restore humanity in relationship with himself and with each other that we can experience now today. It's important to note that Noah and his sons managed to keep at least a part of God's first commands when they left the ark. They were very fruitful. They were spread, I mean, they were, they were having many, many, many children Yet they did not fill all God said. And once again, God graciously intervenes to redirect those whom he loves. And that's where we come to chapter 11. As God looks at the response of humanity now, fresh start, there's rolling again, and it's same song, second verse, could get better, but it's going to get worse, right? So Genesis chapter 11, we're going to read little bits and pieces, and we'll go through it together. Verse 1, it says, Now all the earth used the same language and the same words. And it came about as they journeyed east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. Then they said to one another, Come, let's make bricks and fire them thoroughly. And they used brick for stone and they used tar for mortar. And they said, Come, let's build ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven. And let's make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered abroad over the face of all the earth. The opening of chapter 11 is kind of like that phrase you probably heard, you know, like, meanwhile, back at the ranch, right? This, <laughs> meanwhile, <laughs> everything's going on over here, but here's the problem, right? Through time and humanity, generation after generation, it just keeps moving forward. God continues to reveal his story of faithfulness and redemption despite man's repeated rebellions. Chapter 11 happens sometime during the life of Peleg, who is the great, great, great grandson of Noah. And we'll, you know, we'll kind of get to that towards the end. But it's about 107 years after the flood. From Shem, Ham, and Japheth, the population of the earth, it's increased tremendously. Sadly, most of the descendants of Noah have not learned to obey the simple commands of God to fill 
the whole earth. If you just boil it down to two, said be fruitful and multiply, go and fill all the earth. And they only got one. This mass of people now moves eastward and they determine to put down roots in Shinar, this big plain. In this place, many people decided to directly disobey God's command to fill the earth. And they say, come, let us build a city. Thomas Akempis, uh, he was uh, one of the early church leaders around, I think, around 1600 or so. He wrote in his book, On the Imitation of Christ, man does what he can, God does what he will. Or to put it another way, man proposes, but God disposes. Proverbs 19.21 says, many are the plans in the mind of man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. We're going to see this all through as we continue through Genesis. Five generations. This is all it took for the bulk of humanity to forget the faith of Noah and the salvation of God through the ark. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but I mean, I love history. Uh, There's a certain aspect of genealogies that I really love. My Aunt Marilyn is our family historian and has traced back many generations. Um, But Noah, if you don't realize this, Noah is still alive. He's still alive. His story is still being told, but a majority of the descendants have turned away from from following this God of creation, the God of creation. And this doesn't happen overnight. The sin of spiritual or biblical compromise is a slow fade. There's There's a song out there called It's a Slow Fade. Um, that I, I, really, I really love that song, a slow fade when black and white turns to gray. Mommies don't crumble in a day. Daddies don't crumble in a day. It's a slow fade. Well, on Monday, my dad and I went over to Seaside to dig for, for razor clams. And I mean, the last time I did this was probably like, I was probably age 15, I I'm, I'm, think. And then we moved from Kingston, Washington, which is up in the Puget Sound, to Eugene, Oregon. A few years later, I moved and joined the Army, got married, um, moved to Idaho. So we spent a lot of time apart from my dad. And it began this kind of slow but steady path of time and distance away from my dad. We're out there on the beach, and I'm realizing... I'm not sure what I'm looking for, (laughs) right? And I'm like, this isn't good. I got a clam gun, I got my waders on, and I got a sack to put the clams in, but I'm trying hard to remember what I'm supposed to be looking for. I've been told that you're, you know, in my mind, I remember this thing very clearly. You look for the donut. It's a little circle of sand that's kind of a little bit of a mound with a depression, a dimple, or even a hole in the center. So I'm walking up the beach and I'm looking and I'm looking and I'm looking. I can't find a thing. I am seeing nothing, zero, right? And I see people stopping and digging and digging up clams, but I keep walking. I'm like, I'll find this, you know, they're finding the one or two spots I'll find. I get about 
quarter or maybe a half mile down the beach. And I'm like, okay, this is stupid. I should probably stop and ask some questions. <laughs> so I turn around as I'm walking, I'm looking. I'm like, surely I'll just, I'll find one. My confidence will be restored. I finally approach these two, two younger guys. Um, they're, they're from Vietnam. Um, Sue and Steven. Yes, they're two, two guys. Uh, they're from Vietnam, so it's S-U. And then he made the joke. I'm the boy named Sue. Anyways, that, if you don't know that song, which really, you know, saved me for not, because <laughs> I was thinking it. <laughs> Anyways, I began to ask him. I said, like, I, you know, listen, it's been a long time. Can you help refresh my memory? So they say, hey, why don't you just come walk with us and we'll dig together? Now, I, I want to bring this to a point because here I am asking complete strangers for advice on a very simple thing, how to find the little things in the sand about razor clams. Now imagine that I had spent enough time away from spiritual influences, exposure to God's word, godly people, godly teaching. And my response when I want to be reacquainted is to ask the first strangers that I come along that speak a different language have different life experiences and spiritual habits, what are my chances that I'm going to get the truth? Now, gratefully, we did. I got the truth just to close the story. They did show me. It was a lot more subtle than I remember. And once I figured it out, then I, saw, I was seeing them everywhere, and it didn't take long. We had a bunch of razor clams. But imagine that this was spiritual truth that I'm blindly now wandering about. And this is how many of us approach spiritual truth. We're apt to fall away from it. And then when we're looking to discover it, who do we go to? Oftentimes people that are just as blind as we are or that speak a different spiritual message than the one we've received. In the life lessons, life and death lessons Noah passed along over those 107 years, my 40 years separation in that little clam experience was just a blink of an eye. Imagine the consequences of losing the truth. And here we see it. Noah's son Ham was the first to forget and he was a first-hand witness he experienced the one-year boat ride. He experienced stepping off the ark and watching his dad make an altar to worship God, and yet he was the first one to rebel. Proverbs 16, 19 says, The heart of the man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Have you ever played the game Telephone? really fun game. You gather in circle with just enough space between each players that they can whisper a message or a phrase that's given to them. Well, we did that tonight. Before the service, I chose seven people and I gave the first person the message and they passed it along and passed it along until the last person. Nathan was the last person. Nathan, what was the message you received? To the one who's given the command of life. 
to the one who was given the command of life. Here's what the message was. To the one who was given the commands of life, always remember his name. Life is in the blood. Beware and do not hate. As I have done, worship the one who opened the gate. This is his promise and vow. Remember his bow or you will be the first to let go. (laughs) Now, it wasn't hanging on Nathan. It was hanging on all the people in between. Now imagine 107 years. 107 years and generation after generation. Now, the people here that participated in this, they were nervous, right? There was this pressure. I've got like 20 minutes to get this done. You know, I felt bad for poor Liam. He was the first one. (laughs) But all points in between, there was this pressure to remember. There's distractions. What do we experience in this world? A lot of pressure a lot of distractions, our pride, guilt, shame, frustration, anger. Imagine passing along a much more serious message, a life and death message. All it would take is for one person or one generation to be angry or frustrated, hurt by another, and the possibility or the likelihood of the truth being corrupted, distorted, or omitted becomes almost certain. And in our case, here in chapter 11, we see it. We see the truth of it. From Noah to Peleg, Peleg the history of mankind was passed down from one person to the next. But along the way, hatred, envy, pride, selfishness, ambition, dissensions, drunkenness, and many other sins, which are mentioned in Galatians, the deeds of the flesh, they grew alongside the message, corrupting, dividing, distorting. And the distortion of the truth reaches a critical point in Peleg's life, and many people rise up in rebellion to God as they approach this plane. Now, I find it interesting, again, I love how God supervises our teaching. And Pastor Doug's going through the book of Jude on Sunday mornings in verses 12 through 16. And he talked about this idea that we need to be discerning people. There's a warning given to us. We're warned about tolerating corrupt people or false teachers within the body. We're told to be discerning about who we are allowing to lead us or influence us. Who are we following? See, we are no different than the grandchildren of Noah. We are prone to distractions, disinterest maybe, acts of malice. And ultimately what will happen is it will lead us to a rebellion. Again, it's that whole idea of a slow fade. It's just small increments. When the black and white truth becomes gray and compromise becomes more tolerable. What we teach our classmates, our children, our neighbors, not just with our words, but our actions. They speak a message maybe that is fraught with distractions. The question we must ask ourselves is, what message are we sending? 
what message are you and I sending with our lives? Because God says we have a message. He has given us mess- a message. This was the, the heartbreak that Jesus had over the religious leaders. He says, you've been entrusted with the very oracles of God, yet you've missed the heart of the creator, the heart of the father. Are we allowing things or people to distract us from hearing the whole message or from retaining the message? Do the words of Jesus in John 15, 5 and 6 ring daily in our hearts and mind? Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown away like a branch and dries up and they gather them and throw them in the fire and they are burned. Is the message of Christ, are we nurturing that? Are we feeding it personally, privately, passionately? And then are we passing that message faithfully along? You see, because when God said, go out, the people said, we will build up right? Verse four, and they said, come, let us build us ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into the heavens and let's make a name for ourselves. Otherwise we'll be scattered abroad over the face of all the earth. We see here are people trying to communicate their desire to exercise authority over their own lives. How often do you and I do that? I know I do it. I just want a little bit of control. But it is an illusion, isn't it? It's an illusion that we have control. Oh, we have a a measure of choice in the matter about obeying God, but God's will cannot be thwarted. Matthew 6, 24, it says, No one can serve two masters, for he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. He's speaking about this whole issue of God and money, but the principle remains the same. We cannot have more than one master. Furthermore, God won't tolerate those who attempt to serve two masters. I appreciate how the New Living Translation puts Exodus 34, 14. It says, You must worship no other gods. For the Lord, whose very name is Jealous, is a God who is jealous about his relationship with you. God says, I I won't tolerate divided loyalties. You're for me or you're against me, he says. The tower they're building is a symbol of their independence from God. Isn't that what we see in our culture today? an independence from God. They neither want or need his sign or his reign and rule in their lives, or, or so they think. Here, they will not go fill the earth. For you and I today, Jesus gives us a similar command, one we've encountered several times in these 11 chapters so far. Jesus' similar command is found in Matthew 28, 19, where he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. He says, Go, be fruitful, multiply. As believers, make disciples. 
Who is our authority? And are we obeying his commands in each area of our lives? And I know, listen, I know (laughs) we're the same. We're not going to do this perfectly. But are we doing it consistently so that when people look at us, they might say, I know what that person believes and they live what they believe. What towers are we building in our lives? It wasn't so much that the tower itself was wrong, it was the motivation behind it to make a name for ourselves. What name do I want to make for myself or for you? What name do we want to make apart from the name of Christian, a Christ follower, a Jesus follower? if we're not careful to daily take up that cross, that instrument of death to our selfish desires and pride and ego, we might one day find ourselves in a very confusing place. Verse five, now the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the men had built. Now, again, you have to keep in mind, it's not like God didn't know what was going on. This whole idea of anthropomorphism, the the idea that God... acts as a human, physical human being does. He, he sees it. And the Lord said, Behold, there are one people, and they have the same language, and this is what they have started to do. And now nothing which they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and, <clears throat> and there and confuse their language so that they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they stopped building the city. Therefore, it was named Babel because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. As in present times, the people of the past, when when they strayed from the Lord, they quickly surrounded themselves with others who were like-minded. This is a naturally occurring principle in the human experiment One pastor said of a frustrated follower of Christ, you have too much sin in you to be content with Christ and too much of Christ in you to be content with sin. This has certainly been a place of my life. I've shared before for eight years. I I knew what God was saying. I did not want to go along with the plan of God. And I tried. I tried to surround myself with people like-minded grumblers and complainers. Just, just like what Doug mentioned on Sunday morning from Jude. Misery loves company. And, and the reality is in that miserable company, the voice of wisdom or reason is like two chunks of styrofoam being rubbed together. I know you really appreciated that or the dentist drill on your tooth, that sound, right? Now you're squirming. Yes, that's exactly what it's like when you know the truth and you, and you don't want to follow it. It is the worst irritation. We can't stand the sound of two truth statements grinding against another. They don't make sense, they're an irritant. 
it's kind of like the phrase liberal Christian. How is that possible? How can you say you believe the word of God and yet live in opposition to it? Or how about this one? Follow the science. Careful. If people truly followed the science, the theory of evolution would have died long ago. There's a phrase that describes this, and Sam and I have been talking about it, cognitive dissonance. What is that? The mental discomfort resulting from holding two conflicting beliefs, values, or attitudes. What do we see being foisted upon us over and over again? Two conflicting ideas, supposed two conflicting truths, attitudes, beliefs, or values. The people of the Tower of Babel were faced with this just as you and I faced it with it today. See, with the aid of Satan, our culture is constantly projecting an alternative and competing message, one that cannot live in harmony with the other. In the beginning, just as our passage says, God gave humanity one language, He did this in part to create unity, unity with himself, but also unity within mankind. However, at the Tower of Babel, the separation from God is what they're after. We don't want to be in submission to God. They now have two competing messages. Sadly, even as we experience today, the common response to cognitive dissonance is to cast off the truth and rally with others who share a competing message. The problem is that you and I end up facing off against God. That is the end result. And he is always going to win that fight. God knows what humanity is capable of. Listen, we've already learned. We've already seen it. It was, it was so bad that he wiped the slate clean. But this time, because of his promises, he takes a more merciful and gracious approach. With that cognitive dissonance comes confusion. And this is really, really what the people are choosing. And God says, fine, you want confusion? I will give you an abundance of it. <laughs> I will acquiesce to your request. Why? Verse six, and the Lord said, behold, they are one people and they have all the same language and this is what they have started to do. And now nothing which they plan to do will be impossible for them. This is kind of the terrifying part. Left to our own devices, when we have a unity of heart and mind, the limits of mankind's wickedness knows no boundaries. All you have to do is open up the history book, one that hasn't been revised, by the way. (laughs) And you can see in our recent past what humans are capable of. We humans cannot be trusted to rule over ourselves. God knows this, yet he remains patient with me, with you. 
desiring for us to understand the truth, to grasp it, to willingly receive the gift. Therefore, Jesus tells us, abide in me, find unity with the Father and the Son and the Spirit through me. And that allows us to have healthy, right relationships with one another. So once again, humanity demonstrates that they are not able to resolve the problem of sin. They are in need of a worthy offering, one that offers eternal life through the blood. So in the, in the Father's wisdom, he introduced thousands of new languages. You know, roughly today, roughly, there's about 7,000 languages that exist today. Now, we realize that within those 7,000 languages, there are variations. So I think of uh, our missionaries in Uganda. They're in Ashunga, uh, the, the district uh, of Nantungamo. That district speaks Runyankoli. It sounds very similar, but there's enough that when you get over, over to the main areas around Kampala and Entebbe, it's difficult sometimes for the two groups, especially those that only speak uh, Lugan and versus Renyankoli, it's a little challenging for them to communicate. Can be. But God introduces thousands of languages and the confusion that ensues. The people sought to bring themselves together against God and they end up being separated. This is true today, right? Watch the news. Listen to social media or watch it drive down the street or listen to a podcast there's every kind of spiritual language you you can imagine every kind of message about spirituality about god they claim to bring people together to worship god but they are really inviting others to join them in their stand against god They claim to raise you up towards God, but they only offer a tower of tar and dirt bricks. Now, it's just an interesting side note. This you know, isn't anywhere in the Bible. I just find it interesting. The, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, um, archaeology now, as they're studying what they believe to be the site, is, was probably the, the supernatural intervention of God. Well, it was the supernatural invention of, intervention of God, to bring about an earthquake in that area that split open the crust. And in that area, there was a lot of bitumen or what we would say tar. And it would have been pushed up rapidly up into the sky and then catching on fire when it rained down. These chunks of fire and brimstone completely devastating and destroying. So much so that we see there later on in Genesis as Abraham looks over the valley and sees the smoke rising from the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. But it's also, I think it's interesting as you think about um, the children of Israel being in captivity in Egypt for all those years and how they're making clay bricks. So you have these two elements, tar and clay bricks, man's attempt to make a name for himself, a name founded in, in destruction and slavery. Isn't that what we try to do? We, we try to make a name for ourselves, but the end is destruction. Just my musings. 
tower, the Tower of Tar and Bricks is being built in the land mentioned in Genesis 10.10, Babylon, which throughout biblical history would be associated with rebellion, evil, and destruction. And it doesn't, that, that history, that story doesn't end. It persists even into the future. And in Revelation 17, 17 and 18, not only as a city, but as a world system, it persists that stands in opposition to God. Again, Proverbs 14, 12, there is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. That was the path that they were pursuing. Death, spiritual, physical death. But God was gracious and patient. That's the message of chapter 11. God has a path for us to follow but we often choose the path of our own design, too often. Without the guiding hand of a loving father, we will choose to make a name for ourselves. We will choose to send a message, one founded in rejection and rebellion. What message are we sending? What kind of cognitive dissonance are we allowing in our own lives? What kind of tower are we building? A tower of faith based upon submission to the Lord, which serves, as God says, a lighthouse for the lost? Or are we making a tower leading to confusion or worse, slavery and destruction? God says that it's better that we would follow the wisdom Jesus spoke in Matthew 6, 19 through 20. Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. What are we putting our hope in? They were building a tower, making a name for themselves, standing in defiance against God, their desire to be united brought about their separation because it was apart from God. In the end, it does not matter the course we choose because God is sovereign. We may choose our own path, but ultimately it leads to the same ending, a face-to-face encounter with the creator of all things. And for some, the face-to-face meeting is at the foot of the judgment throne. But to those, those of us who have lived by the example set by Noah, by faith, that meeting place is at the foot of the mercy seat. Verses 22, the remaining 22 verses of chapter 11. We'll zip through these because I know you just can't wait to Dive into the genealogies. These are the records of the generations of Shem. Shem was 100 years old when he fathered Arpashad, two years after the flood. And Shem lived 500 years after he fathered Arpashad and he fathered other sons and daughters. Arpashad lived 35 years and fathered Shelah. And Arpashad lived 403 years after he fathered Shelah. He fathered other sons and daughters. And Shelah lived 30, 30 years and fathered Eber. And Shelah lived 403 years after he fathered Eber, and he fathered other sons and daughters. Eber lived 34 years and fathered Peleg. 
and Eber lived 430 years after he fathered Peleg, and he fathered other sons and daughters. Peleg lived 30 years and fathered Ru, and Peleg lived 209 years after he fathered Ru, and he fathered other sons and daughters. Ru lived 32 years and fathered Serug, and Ru lived 207 years after he fathered Serug, and he fathered other sons and daughters. Serug lived 30, 30 years and fathered Nahor, and Serug lived 200 years after he fathered Nahor, and he fathered other sons and daughters. Now we're coming down to this close, this narrowing point where God is narrowing his focus for the redemption of man. Nahor lived 29 years and fathered Terah. And Nahor lived 119 years after he fathered Terah. And he fathered other sons and daughters. Terah lived 70 years. And he fathered Abraham, Nahor, and Haran. Now these are the records of the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran fathered Lot. Haran died during the lifetime of his father Terah in the land of his birth, in the Ur of the Chaldeans. Abraham and Nahar took wives for themselves. The name of Abraham's, Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahar's wife was Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Isaac, Iscah. Sarai was unable to conceive. She did not have a child. Now Terah took his son Abram and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and his daughter-in-law, Sarai, his son Abram's wife, and they departed together from the Ur of Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. And they went as far as Haran and settled there. And the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. So here's the final message of chapter 11. Despite man's rejection of the Father's plan of redemption and restoration, God is undetoured. He is going to carry out the promised plan. What are we choosing? What are we choosing? A monument of confusion and destruction or an altar of redemption and restoration? This is what God presents to us and this is what we should be presenting to others. Which will we choose, life or death? Blessing or cursing? I'll quote that earlier quote. Man does what he can. God does what he will. Which will we choose? Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's study in the book of Genesis. If you're ever in the Portland area, we would love to have you visit us for one of our services. For more information about our church, you can visit our website at ccseportland.com. We hope you'll join us next week as we continue in our study together. Thank you.